Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, April 4th. We begin with a look ahead to the federal budget set to be released on Thursday. We speak with Torin Jolly, a tax expert and partner with KPMG. Torin breaks down what he sees as the key pieces that will matter most to both businesses and individuals. April is IBS Awareness Month. We speak with a Calgary-based gastroenterologist for details on a new oral medication that could be a game changer to the millions of Canadians who live with IBS. Do you wear a smartwatch and track your steps on a daily basis? If so, how many steps do you get per day? And most importantly, does it matter for your overall health? We discuss with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. And finally, it's Motivational Monday. It's our weekly segment aimed at helping you achieve your goals and to live your best life. And this week, we speak with author Linda Olson for some tips on how to share the power of our own unique stories to make a difference in the lives of others. The 2022 federal budget will be tabled on Thursday. So what can Canadians and business owners expect? With a little insight, we're joined this morning by Torin Jolly, partner and tax expert with KPMG in Canada. Morning, Torin. Thanks for being with us. Well, thanks for having me once again. It's been a whole year since we've chatted. I know. Excited to be here. (laughs) Well, welcome back. Uh, Let's talk about, uh, first of all, what do you think Canadian businesses want to see in this budget? Um, biz- oh, that's a that's actually a great question. Businesses obviously want predictability, lower tax rates, um, and support. Um, the government has messaged before that they're moving from COVID relief measures to stimulating the economy, so they're really focused on that. Yeah, on the wish list, but I'm wondering, Tarn, before we get into more details and more meats and meat and bones of what might be on that list. I'm wondering, with the current state of the economy, with inflation coming out of the pandemic, is is there going to really be any big winners out of a budget like this, or is it all you know the lesser of two evils, like uh, you know the best we can get? Very interesting question. I, I think I'll, I'll break it out. Um, the government's message planted a few seeds that they're going to focus on two pillars: stimulating the economy and making life more affordable for Canadians. So I I think if we fixate on uh, making life more affordable, what that generally means is you're going to see a lot more spending uh, for the average Canadian, particularly on things like health care, childhood education, uh, zero emission vehicles, green jobs. So we're we're expecting a lot of um, uh, measures and spending in those those, uh, buckets. Yeah. Will there be help for corporations, for example, green incentives out there if we do want to get into the EVs, et cetera? Um, I think yes is the short answer. A lot of it will be building off of last year's budget where they've messaged and planted a lot of seeds and, and a lot of consultations on what to see, what to do. And one of, one of the big ones that, we're, that I'm particularly looking for is the carbon capture utilization and storage They've been running a consultation process for the past year um, for business on that initiative. And we expect the actual legislation will be tabled in this budget. And so I know, particularly from Alberta-based businesses, a lot of them are really interested on that and what it means. And you you saw that, I think, on Friday, um, six projects were, were looked at by the Alberta government in that space. So I think aligning with the with green initiatives climate change as well as supporting businesses particularly in in alberta we're going to see that here 
What about, you know, uh, Torin, for the average Canadian, or I guess you'd say average family, what, what's the greatest impact that they will see? Um, I think some of the things that the average family will be interested in is, it, it, it's first, uh, the government has a message that there's going to be no increase in the capital gains tax. So uh, Christina Freeland has mentioned this, no intentions to go there. So one, we got stability. Um, now, some some of the negative things that you might otherwise see or pauses, depending on which side you want to look at, is the they'll be looking at principal residency and number one saying they're not going to touch that principal residency exemption. However, they will be looking at the no flipping uh, using the principal residency exemption. So there'll be there'll probably be a measure built into there, plus um, resident or real estate unused real estate. Uh, tax, so there's uh, an existing one, be building off of that. Uh, and aside from that will be a lot of spending, particularly um, in the zero emission uh, vehicles and other kind of supporting measures. We expect to see some of those. So those are some of the things that the average Canadian will be um, will be noticing in this budget. And so that basically means some of it is not going in certain areas, which means a good thing for the average Canadian of saying, we got stability, we got understanding. So, of course, who knows what they're actually going to do on Thursday, but normally the government starts messaging things well in advance, and that's why we can make uh, you know some accurate um, predictions of what's, what's going to occur in the future. Yeah, it, if I was to look back at last year, I think I was pretty accurate in my in my prediction so hopefully fingers crossed that i you know i i still got the same track record this year if you will <laughs> that's why we let you come back because you're always right uh Torin, you talked about spending uh are we expecting any more sort of covid relief programs or will those be pulled back um well another great question so they have message that they're going to start the government's going to start shifting from covid relief to uh stimulating economic growth so some of the programs that you would have seen um they actually expire may 7th however finance has the ability to move that to july so that one there i'm it's a bit of a challenge for me to actually predict i suspect it might be extended but the government has has clearly said that they're moving past this part of the pandemic and, and thus is going to look to stim- and stimulate growth. So that's going to be um, maybe for a little bit longer, but it will end at some point in time in the near future. What about, uh, Torin, supply chains and international trade concerns? Are these things that could be addressed within the budget to kind of safeguard us uh, moving ahead? Um, absolutely. So, as we all know, there's been challenges with supply chains, so I suspect that there'll be spending in various measures to support the supply chain. Um, so I, I, I do expect to see that. Now, as it relates to international cooperation, if I if I fixate on on tax policy, there will be likely be measures or at least a messaging along these uh, lines about coordinating from a tax policy internationally there's this thing oecd and they've um they've announced certain measures that countries around the world it's essentially cooperation amongst them about about bringing in domestic measures in their local countries to make it a level playing field globally both on taxation and and how the tax systems work so we we suspect that there'll be more uh, on that, and at least from a consultation perspective, and then how the Canadian government is going to work with the global partners 
um, of how to have a i.e. a global minimum tax. I'm sure we've all heard uh, of that. We expect some of that messaging in this budget, maybe not necessarily exactly legislation. However, we will likely see some type of measure or consultation or working with the counterparts in that regard. Well, we'll find out for sure on Thursday when the 2022 federal budget comes down. Thank you so much for your expert opinions on this today, Torin. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. Have yourself a nice day. You too. Torin Jolly is a partner and tax expert with KPMG in Canada. April is IBS month. The prevalence of IBS in Canada, one of the highest in the world. But a new oral medication uh, might uh, bring relief to people in need. With details, we're joined by Dr. Christopher Andrews, fellow of the Royal College of Physicians in Canada. Uh, Good morning to you. Good morning, Annie. How are you? Good. Good. I also should mention you're a gastroenterologist and a clinical professor at the UFC, so your business card is about three feet wide. That's right. <laughs> Good morning to you. Um, Good morning. Wh- why? I'm shocked to hear that stat. Why do we have one of the highest rates of IBS in the world here in Canada? Well, it's it's not entirely clear. I mean, IBS is irritable bowel syndrome, and so uh, there's a lot of factors. Um, probably a lot of it has to do with diet, but the reality is that IBS is actually really common around the world. It's a, it's a problem where people get a lot of discomfort with their gut um, and typically related to bowel movements. And so that's pretty universal, unfortunately. Doctor, what kind of treatments are currently available for people? Well, you know, a lot of, um, there's a couple of approaches. Um, dietary changes is, is often one of the, the first things that we try. And so trying, trying a, a diet that's lower in carbohydrates or sugars can sometimes be helpful. Um, sometimes there's no question that a lot of gut symptoms also have to do with the way you perceive them. And so often uh, things like um, cognitive behavioral uh, therapy, you know, so changing the way you think about things um, and coping with the pain is another approach. But medications is probably the most common uh, approach that we use as doctors. And um, usually we try and improve the, the pain and the constipation or the diarrhea, depending on, on what kind of symptoms the patient has. How, how do we know we have IBS? How, how does one determine? What, what, what is the test? Well, yeah, unfortunately, there's no um, test that confirms the diagnosis. And so um, usually it's based on symptoms alone, but the, the symptoms typically have a, a fairly regular pattern. Um, it definitely is something that you should probably see your family doctor about just to make sure that there's no, uh, no other disease that's going on. But, but usually it's just made by, by symptoms and, and perhaps a few simple tests that your family doctor can do um, to confirm the diagnosis. Usually people often have it for a long time. It's usually not something that you just got three days ago. Usually it's something that people struggle with for six months or more or many years. And so that's, that's usually the way we make the diagnosis. Okay, doctor, let's talk about the new treatment then. How, how does it work? What exactly is it? What impact could it have? Well, there's uh, a new drug that's just come out on the market called placanotide. And um, what it is is that the, the body has a lot of different ways that it regulates the bowel movements. And this one is uh, a drug that mimics a natural hormone um, called uroguanolin. Uroguanolin. And anyways, it, it, what that uh, hormone does is that it, in response to a meal, it can adjust the amount of fluid that goes in into the lining of the gut. And so what it does is it, uh, it makes more fluid come into the, the stool and keeps it softer and helps the bowel movements uh, flow on through, if you will. The other thing that it does, though, it also reduces, reduces pain. 
because that's one of the hallmarks of IBS is that people get a lot of pain or bloating. Bloating is another way that the body tells us about bowel pain. And the bloating is, can be reduced by this medication which works on the pain nerves that are right on the, in the lining of the gut. And so through both of those mechanisms, it can really actually make the bowel movements work a bit better, work faster, and reduce the pain. I should point out that this is for the, the type of IBS where people have constipation. Obviously, if you have diarrhea, it's not the right drug. Uh, very interesting, and it is IBS month here, so it's super timely. Thank you for your time this morning, Dr. Andrews. Thank you very much for having me. Have a great day. You, you too. That's Dr. Christopher Andrews, a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians here in Canada, a gastroenterologist and clinical professor at the University of Calgary. It's perhaps the most popular of all wearable tech, this smartwatch that tracks your daily steps. You know, Fitbit, Fitbit Apple Watch, Samsung, Garmin, different brands. One goal to increase your physical activity. Now, the popular opinion is that you need 10,000 steps per day. Okay, but what is the significance of 10,000 steps? How was it decided upon and can it make a difference? To discuss, we're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Um, I'm one of those people, Dr. J. I'm a fanatic when it comes Truly to reaching 10,000 steps a day. Am I really making a, a difference in my physical health and well-being or am I just wasting my time? No, no, you're absolutely making a, a benefit, and uh, every step is better than no steps. It's just the notion, 10,000 steps, there's absolutely no science whatsoever about it. <laughs> Purely a marketing thing, came from a Japanese company back in the 60s who basically first made the watch that could, uh, like, pedometer or whatever they, they called it in Japanese. My Japanese is a bit rusty right now, but um, whatever they called it was the first thing that actually tracked steps. So they had to figure out, well, if we're going to track steps, what's the appropriate number of steps? And somewhere along the line, 10,000 came, and it was a beautifully rounded number. And it's had a bit of science. You know, the science said maybe 7,000, 8,000 was maybe about right. So why not make it 10,000 even? And away we went, and it's been 10,000 ever since for the, the next 60 years. And Andy truly is obsessive about it. You should see him here at the radio station every morning. It's quite amusing to watch. But, I mean, it can't, it can't hurt, right? So there's got to be some health benefits to it. No, totally. It's just this notion. If, if, if somebody can do 10,000 and they're motivated and that's sort of a number that keeps them going, then that's a perfect number. But I guess science tells us that even if you did 5,000, that's better than no thousand or if you did seven or eight thousand that's probably adequate you know so the number is not the crucial piece okay. the crucial piece is getting out and trying to get more steps in uh you know when i go for a run i get 15 or sixteen thousand. so it doesn't mean i should shorten my run so i only do ten thousand. but because the number isn't important it's just getting out there and being active is re really what's important and daily you know in a sort mm -hmm. of a more religious way if, if possible do we, do we, you know, I'm not sure the technical aspects of this, but are they accurate to, to what we know? Or, you know, or does that even matter? What brand you have or, you know, how much you pay for a smartwatch? Yeah, and again, probably doesn't matter that much unless you were sort of trading for something specifically where the number was crucial. Um, I mean, most people go on a similar walk or, you know, have a variety of a different different number of walks, and they sort of know what the kilometers are, what the time is, and that's, to be honest, more important than 
you know, that's odd. Today you only tracked, you know, 10,003 versus yesterday was 10,010 or like the actual number is not that crucial. But I think the watches are actually, the technology has gotten better and better and better over time. So it's pretty amazing what they can do. Uh, you know, and if nothing else, Dr. J, it starts you thinking, right? Oh, well, maybe I could park my car a little farther away to try and get in some extra steps. Or maybe I could take, a, you know, a short stair case instead of jumping on an elevator to go up one floor. That sort of thing. So, I mean, in the long run, you as a physician, you've got to think that, you know, it's it's a it's a bonus because it just gets, it, you know, to top of mind that people need to be a little more active these days. No, no, absolutely. I, I, this is the first time you've ever told me what I should think, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would think you would think any, that. Sorry, any activity is good. So, yes, the impetus to do a bit more and to, yeah, if you're really tracking that 10,000 and you're short, what do you do? You go for a walk or you instead of driving to the grocery store, you actually walk there because now you'll get your steps. So if that's the incentive, little impetus to always get a little bit more, then it's fantastic. Absolutely. Fantastic to catch up with you again, Dr. J. Thanks so much for your time. We'll tell you what to do you next week. <laughs> Wait for it. Sounds good. <laughs> Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. International speaker and story expert Linda Olson is passionate about helping people recognize and embrace the value of their personal story. In fact, she believes something as simple as a story can actually change the lives of others. Joining us now on this Motivational Monday is Linda Olson. Morning, Linda. Thanks for being with us. Oh, good morning. I'm so pleased to be able to be with you. Thank you. Okay, well, let's start with this because you say story to me is the greatest gift we have been given. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we don't see it as a gift. What do you mean? What are our stories and how do they become gifts? You know, our story is who we are. And it's all about embracing the things that we've gone through, embracing the tough times. And as we embrace it, we learn lessons through it. And that's the key to me, to really be able to enjoy life and live it to the fullest, is really being able to embrace every part of our life. That's our story. Linda, do you think that sometimes we perhaps don't value our own story because we're too close to it and think that we have to get outside motivation and, and learn lessons from others when we could actually gain some knowledge and, and, and own our story and use that as a vehicle? Absolutely. I think there's many times that you're absolutely right. They were too close to our story, so we don't appreciate really the gift that we have been given And as we look to other stories, often, through motivational speaking, whatever it is, it's often people sharing their stories. But sometimes as we look through, it's almost like those are windows. Sometimes as we look through that, we can internalize that and take a look at, oh, wait a minute, that's not that different than what I've gone through. Even though our circumstances may be totally different, we connect with the pain, the conflict, and the problems. Linda, your new book is called Story Matters, Empowering Your Hope When Going Through Tough Times. Tell us about some of the stories within it. Okay, very quickly. um, I think particularly one of the gals had gone to uh, just her regular doctor's appointment. The doctor came back and let her know she had bad news for her, and that was uh, she, she had stage 4 cancer. And it was far enough along so that they couldn't 
um, they couldn't encourage any treatment at this point and gave her one to five years to live. Uh, she came to a place and had to face the biggest question of her life, and that was, do I live or do I die? And at first, all she wanted to do was die, but she realized she couldn't do that. She has three children who uh, love her and uh, many people who are there for her. And so she chose to live, and that was only two years ago. Today, she has written her first book, working on her second, working on a children's series, and doing all the artwork. She said, I've never been so fulfilled in my life. I am living my story. Wow. Linda, that's super personal, and you look at the list of uh, some of these incredible stories that you share. I'm wondering, how do you convince the subjects of these stories to share their personal stories with you? How did you do that? You know what? To me, it's not about convincing anybody. It's really asking them a little bit about their story, what they've gone through, what they've learned through it, and... um, and then just asking, you know, is that something you you are ready to share with others? Because they are very personal. And the big thing is that, of course, it requires being very vulnerable uh, to do that. And so to me, it's giving them an opportunity. It's not trying to convince them or make them share it. It's really giving them an opportunity and say, you know what? I know there are many people out there maybe thousands, even millions of people that need to hear your story and would be encouraged with your story, would you be willing to share it? And um, when I asked these ladies, they all said yes. So these stories then can empower others. What do you think it does for those once they share their story? Does it give them any more power once they share what they've gone through? Yes, and that is, excuse me, that is what it's all about. It really is about empowering them, uh, letting them know that, you know, this is what I've been through. And so often when we hear those kind of stories, we say, wow, if she can go through that or if he can go through that, um, you know what, I can, I can face what I'm dealing with as well. And that is absolutely what it's all about. Incredible, Linda. We appreciate it. Uh, Looking forward to flipping through the pages. And we go to wealththroughstories.com. That's your website. But also, we can get it online at Amazon. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Amazon's probably the best place to to get the book. Okay. And... um, uh, my hope is that it would that even if you don't relate to all the stories, I do believe you'd find at least one mm-hmm. to relate to, connect with, and hopefully it will empower you. Good stuff. Thank you so much. We're going to tell people to check out Story Matters, Empowering Your Hope When Going Through Tough Times. Thanks so much, Linda. You're very welcome. That is Linda Olson, international speaker and story expert. Now, obviously not Linda Olson from Global News, but <laughs> we have had that Linda Olson on yes. before. She, I just, I find her very inspiring. I think she just is a, she's a, she's got really neat ideas. And I really think that the idea of story is, it really truly is important. My wife does, um, you know, a lot of work with helping people share their stories, yes. figure out what their stories are. And, uh, you know, it, it can be very empowering when you figure out what you're, because most people think, oh, I don't have a story. But we all do. 
Mm-hmm. We're just living it. So you don't really see it as something that would be important or interesting to somebody else. But it is. I think it's the big view in that we are a character and the star, the feature piece of our own story mm. so much so that we're used to hearing stories from above, from the storyteller's perspective. And you have to climb that ladder and get that bird's eye view of your life to understand yeah. that these pieces can be valuable, not just to yourself, to maybe give you some insight as to what your next steps may be, but could bring clarity to other people. And I think that that's huge. I, I haven't really looked at it from that angle until we spoke with somebody like mm-hmm. Linda. Because it's, it's interesting because sometimes we might devalue what we've been through, what we've learned, how far we've gone. For sure. And I mean, it's, it, it is extremely important for your own healing to share your story, to get it out, to figure out what it is and then to get it out of you. And the value of it. Yes. And then for others to hear it and perhaps take a life lesson. And you never know how many people you touch with what you've been through. And it can be very similar to their experience, too. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.